Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals talk to non-air quotes real professionals. Uh, I, have a, I have a pretty cool guest here today. We got Airdorf from Airdorf Games. He's the creator of uh, Earl's Day Off, the horror fishing adventure, and uh, a couple other titles you might have heard of, like uh, Fate. And uh, so anyways, uh, just, it's just going to be me today. Jesse's recovering from his, uh, his foot got infected with coronavirus, so I had to chop it off. And uh, Remy's also got coronavirus. I had my coronavirus last week, so I'm all recovered. And uh, DJ, drop that sick beat. So I'm here with Eridorf. How are you doing today, man? Hey, good. Surviving, you know. Yeah, it seems like... Uh, so the funny thing is, is we have a uh, giveaway coming up for Dread XP, and it's for a game called Gone Viral, and I just figured that this is a perfect time for that. Oh, that's great. They did that on purpose, didn't they? Yeah, I, I, I think so. They might have had a different name, like because it's something like Diablo-like Dungeon Crawler, so I think they yeah. just named it to Gone Viral. Corona Kings, things like that. I can think of a cool. Oh cool. boy, have you thought about anyway, coronavirus, coronavirus based games? games? Yeah. No, I'm gonna wait for those to just make themselves. They'll they'll pop up. <laughs> this is like pandemic. Is uh, did you hear that the Outbreak Inc. got banned on the the China Play Store or whatever? I'm I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean that's they're, they're all the about that over there. Yeah, I mean that fixes the problem right there. As soon as people aren't making fake diseases. I just imagine that in the Chinese lab where they made the coronavirus to kill uh, <laughs> all the, the foreigners that they were like, oh, no, they found our secret. And they just developed it using the Outbreak Inc. app or something like that. <laughs> Maybe. That's a, that's a bold statement, Ted. They're going to be coming out for you now. They're going to be coming after you all. Whatever. I'm, uh, I'm he knows like, too much. I'm a what is this generation? I don't even know what generation I am. I'm that, that weird interstitial generation where like depression jokes are funny. So it's like, whatever, the Chinese government, take me away. We'll see what yeah. happens. Yeah, no, it's good. I have a feeling we're probably in the same generation. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's actually, you know, a, a fair few questions I have for you, um, because you're, you kind of gained a lot of popularity uh, in the indie space because your games are, you know, basically free. Yeah, yeah, for now they are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> basically for now. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I, I've seen a lot. You're you're one of those creators that I feel that a lot of people are gonna know through other media other than playing a game first. Let me explain what I mean. Is that my first okay. exposure to you and your games was uh, when my girlfriend was like, "Have you checked out this indie game on itch.io? Here's a YouTube video breaking down the themes and the the metaphors in it." And I feel that because your games are free, it's it's rather popular for people to play it and then talk about it because the barrier to entry is basically not. Well, uh, yeah, I think so. Well, I I um I don't know. I think when I was growing up, so I'm in my 30s, and so um, games. I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, I was looking at some fan art that I drew uh, when I was like eight years old. And um, I don't know why, but I drew Bowser and I referred his name was I, I, th I think I I wrote his name as Blanca and not Bowser, which was really weird. But then I re I remembered that uh, the elementary school kids 
in in like third grade, they um, they started a rumor that his name was Blanca and not Bowser. And that's because we didn't have the internet or any kind of strategy guides. We just had like, like uh, we just had cartridges of super Mario world that we got from our older brothers, you know? And um, so I was just thinking about how, like without the internet, all we had was like word of mouth to like talk about games and to like hear about games, be like, Oh dude, have you ever played this? Oh man, it's so cool. Let me tell you about it. You know, I think Mm -hmm. it was in like fifth grade. And I overheard a couple of girls talking about resident evil two. And they were talking about like the crows coming after you and like uh, and like the liquors coming after you. And I was like, oh, it sounds horrifying. This is before I was into horror. And uh, so I um, I would be I'd be pretty impressed and, and frankly, a little tickled if I heard that faith like mostly got around through word of mouth. I don't I don't know if that's the case. I, I think it stays kind of near the top of the charts on itch.io, which is uh, which is by design. <laughs> and yeah. uh um, YouTubers pick it up every now and then because they kind of hear about it and um, that kind of gets revitalized and I, you know, I get some some numbers and and it kind of goes up and down on the charts and stuff. So I'd, well, I'd be pretty impressed if it was mostly through word of mouth, but also well, a little depressed because I, I like I try really hard to like get it out there. <laughs> and stuff. Well, let's be real. Itch.io in general is a lot of word of mouth because the, the web, the, the, the storefront is kind of set up to be popularized by word of mouth first off because not a lot of people know about itch.io they don't have like a huge marketing arm and also because with the constant deluge of new titles onto itch.io that it's you know basically word of mouth is going to be how anything rises to the top there yeah yeah i think so you're you're kind of fighting upstream against the current as soon as you release on on itch and yeah it, it has its its pros and cons i i happen to find i happen to find my like my seo and my my like reachability or whatever you call it uh, to players to be a, a little more friendly on itch.io versus game jolt. And um, I had this, I kind of, I, I had this sort of debate with the owner of game or the, like the owner of game jolt a while ago, like maybe a year and a half ago and, and stuff. And we, I was just talking about the pros and cons and stuff. And uh, game jolt has been very good to me. Um, they, they featured, faith chapter two on their front page and they featured some other stuff of mine and you know i still get traffic and stuff on game jolt but i think that like say you click on the horror tab like those are games that have existed for like six seven eight years like um like vanish and i think finite of phrase is still on there and like the very well established older games always stay on the front page of the horror section, but on itch it's super volatile, like 15 minutes after like you could be number one on the horror charts on itch. And then 15 minutes later, later you're number four, you know, because some YouTuber just played three other games that were on that same list. And so Mm -hmm. it's a real fight to, it's a real fight, but as in as much as game jolt has treated me good as well as a developer, uh, itch has treated me way better and that's not to say that game jolt doesn't treat devs well it's just to say that like itch like it has a system in place that really works like for me specifically as a developer and yeah. i i have a few strategies and and very little uh marketing experience that i i put to use and you know usually um for example when a client wants me to make a game for one or one of their movies which i've done a couple of times I can say with confidence that like people are going to notice because I already have a, I already have a presence on itch and B I know the system a little bit better than game jolt with game. Jolt, it's a lot more challenging. I think to get noticed as a newcomer. Yeah. 
No, I, I, and that's that's kind of the case no matter what you're doing. You know, we were talking a little bit before uh, the recording started about the difficulties of creating new channels. You know, how YouTube is like trying to get into trying to get into YouTube as a new YouTuber is like so hard. You know, and and but you know when you already have an established audience. You know, like you have your Twitter followers, your itch followers, things like that. How has that been trying to transfer that audience to new mediums? Hmm. So what do you mean? Like, uh, so your, like your, your game is coming out on Steam now. You know, you have the demo for the Faith Trinity on Steam. Have yeah. you found that a lot of the people that knew you on itch are wishlisting it on Steam? Or do the people that followed you on itch, are they still primarily following you on itch? If you release a game on Game Jolt, are they kind of following you on both? How does that work? Uh, that, that's almost impossible for me to keep a track of because, uh, I don't want to, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I mostly care about, um, and this is just me personally. I mostly just care about, um, converting Twitter followers to wish lists on steam. And, uh, I've actually tried to downplay, uh, faith and faith chapter two on itch because, uh, it will, I'm eventually going to ask for like nine 99 for the whole Trinity, which is all three chapters and a lot of bonus content that you won't find on itch. So mm-hmm. I've had like maybe two or three people message me and say, Hey, are you going to add the unholy Trinity to itch? Because I, I will not buy on steam, but that's very rare. I mostly it's the flip side where people ask for a steam release because it's easier for um, someone who doesn't have a bank card or uh, like a checking account or something to connect a credit card to like they can just um, ask for slash obtain a steam gift card and and pay for it that way and so um, it's it's more about converting twitter followers to to um, steam wish lists at this moment Mm, that's interesting it's interesting to see that kind of back end yeah unless they make themselves known on multiple platforms and i and i happen to notice them i i rarely take notice that someone is a fan on game jolt indie db which i don't even use anymore because they're garbage in my opinion i can't stand them it's like you try to write a you can write any kind of blog post you want on itch about your game but on indie db it has to be like super professional and journalistic and like if it's anything less than that, they re- reject it from being publicly shown, which I have a huge problem with. But whatever, they have their reasons. Uh, <laughs> but um, I will say that um, it is mostly uh, I don't know if it's like a chicken and egg kind of thing, but uh, New Blood helped me out with some like getting in front of press and um, getting onto a couple of. Uh, gaming platforms when uh, we broke the news about the unholy trinity coming to steam and when that happened like my my following on twitter pretty much doubled in about a month and it's been steady steady growth ever since and so like being attached to a publisher who has a reputation for you know very creative you know retro inspired games like dusk and a medieval and uh, coming out with maximum action now um it really really helped but yeah i guess long answer to a short question but it's it's mostly just been focusing on twitter and uh steam so like i'm just kind of you know from a personal side when you get that kind of exposure when you see your numbers doubling in a month how do you feel so i um i love attention (laughs) like ask my wife i i I, uh, i'm a performer and kind of a a, uh, i guess a clownish personality in in person and I'm I I I dance between introverted and extroverted 
Um, but I, I tend to thrive on attention from large groups of people. I tend to do very well with like public speaking and stuff. We'll, we'll see how long I last on social media before I offend someone and get hashtag, can- <laughs> hashtag canceled. No, I, I even keep track. I think I've, I've offended maybe three people on Twitter so far. Uh, mm. One of them was someone who got angry because my game, because Faith was too scary. And they claimed there were people out there who can't mentally or emotionally handle scary games that should still be able to uh, have access to my game, which is specifically engineered to be as horrifying as possible. Yeah. And I took that as a compliment and also uh, something very frustrating to hear. And I just told them, like, look, I'm sorry if you find yourself not being able to access my product, but um, I, I don't believe that every game should be for everybody. And um, I'm sorry, but I don't. I don't think this product is for you. Like I tried to put it in a very nice way and I, I don't think I ever heard from him. The second one was someone who gave me a one star rating because um, their antivirus program blocked the game from being downloaded, oh. which is um, and they interpreted that as my fault. And when I confronted it on them, they they pulled the um, depression and anxiety card and that I was making I was uh, making that flare up and that they would like, I don't know, they would get me in trouble if I kept talking to them. They eventually they're deleted gonna the review. The, they're going to talk to the internet police and they're going to come arrest you. Wee woo, wee woo. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I guess I dodge bullets. So it's only a matter of time before someone gets like truly uh, upset with me and gets me hashtag canceled. But so when I when it first happened, um, mostly I did a bunch of damage control. I basically del- made my Facebook private and made my Instagram pretty uh pretty unrecognizable from someone looking for me and i tried to minimize like any personally identifiable information as much as possible um of course uh there was um there was some people from china that sat in during my gdc talk that uh took recorded the whole thing and then put it up on their website including my full name and stuff and <laughs> so That's like annoying. so like stuff happens you know yeah. and so I, I mostly just tried to minimize my personal presence um and, um, you know, just cause I have a family and stuff and I have, I have a day job and like, I'm, I'm going to school and stuff. So I don't want like, I don't want people knocking on my door and interfering with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not that that I, would I ever happen, you. but not that that would ever happen, but you get weird, you know, you get weirdos sometimes who want to like track you down and stuff. But, um, so it felt good and, um, mostly it kind of helped me realize that all of a sudden, I realized that the the accounts on Twitter that I strategically followed to like make connections with and to like kind of model my my Twitter experience after them, I, I eventually started realizing that I, I I was now more probably more maybe more popular than them at least by follower count, and so um, the burden kind of shifted. Like I, I felt like I didn't need to ask them for favors anymore. I should you know do favors for them and and bring everyone up who helped me get to where I was today. And now this is turning into some lame, like social media success secrets talk talk, but um, Twitter is very important to my like community building, I suppose. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like the way to communicate with me. Like I try to keep my DMS open for as long as possible and, and stuff. So I I mean, it felt good. um, But at the same time, there's like this responsibility to deliver, you know, it's almost like when you get a a ton of um, commits to your, kickstarter or your crowdfunding you know you have to commit you have to deliver after that Mm -hmm. no i i get it it's it's a double-edged 
yeah, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, once you have that more exposure, there's also more pressure. But there's nothing quite like the feeling of like I've been working very hard and it did a thing. You know, with especially in the indie market, when when you get following out of something you do, it's because of a thing you did. It's not because of the company. It's like I yeah. did the thing and now I have this response from it. And there's nothing like that. Yeah, it's um, I I say it every time I release a game is it's like. Um, it's like having a child like it's like launch day is like my baby is being born and it is being like like the Spartans of old is being like shoved out into the world like mm-hmm. right out the gate. And um, like when I see that game page up and I see the downloads, you know, ready and, you know, everything is like spick and span and how I want it um, and people are starting to react to it. Like that's just the best feeling in the world. Like I consider games to be the ultimate expression of creativity and um, like they have a phenomenal effect on people's lives. Cause they, they certainly did for me uh, horror, especially like being part mm-hmm. of the indie horror community has been such a positive, uh, easygoing experience. Like these are some of the most patient, most understanding, mm-hmm. most loving uh, community members that you could ask for. And I've had nothing but support and concern and um and excitement and you know from from my uh you know from my community and the indie horror mm-hmm. community as as a whole very and i've always wanted to be part of it uh, i waited a long time to kind of get into games and uh i'm glad i did yeah no i think that especially a story like yours where you are kind of a solo developer and you did wait a while is is really heartening because a lot of people especially when they're you know inter- entering their 30s We'll start to feel like they might have missed the boat, you know? <laughs> well, thankfully on, uh, you know, if you keep yourself anonymous and stuff, like people don't know who the heck you are, you know, <laughs> unless well, they hear your I'm... voice or see a photo of you and stuff. But oh, my I God, he's I so get... old. <laughs> yeah, I get called a boomer these days and I, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of yeah. weird. I think that well, term is kind of a misnomer. But yeah, I I, I tend to gravitate towards the more, more retro stuff. As you can, as you can see, don't know yeah. if you could, didn't know if you could tell yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I played the games, so. <laughs> hey, yeah. I saw that you paid you, uh, you paid for Earl's day off. You didn't have to do that. I could have sent you a, I could have sent you a key. Uh, that was really nice of it. you, man. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I don't like the people to know I actually pay for games anymore. Oh, uh, because I'm a, I'm such a professional journalist. But every, like, I paid for Black Mesa. Um, I like, I know the guys from Crowbar Collective. I could have just asked them for one. Yeah. But you know, for indie projects, like. I, I'm not going to pay for Neo 2. <laughs> but okay, good point. I, yeah, yeah. There's some, probably yeah. some AAA, like, freaking $70 titles out there that it probably gets a little arduous when you're a journalist and you got to play all these. Well, it's not even that it's necessarily arduous because I can expense it to the company, but it's like there's a certain point where it's like, okay, like, it, 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 if I'm going to ask for a code from someone, it's usually for a project that, like, my buy doesn't fucking matter to them. But for someone like uh, the Crowbar Collective, well, I'm actually I'm pretty sure my buy doesn't matter for them because they remade Half Life, which probably I'm guessing they made ballpark seven trillion dollars off of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Close with man. Black, yeah. Anyways, um, no, I I I I was like trying them out last night, and I had the option of getting them for free, but it was like you know why not support it? Okay, speaking of supporting you as a creator. Okay. Uh, we were just talking about Game Jolt, so I was I just Googled it, you know, just to look at it in the front page. This is literally the f- first game on their front page. I okay, want you to look on, at I'm it. 
at a link that you sent me. Okay, yeah. so here we go. Oh wow, a to- ooh, ooh, ooh. faint, faint, a top-down yeah. pixelated horror experience. Meet Jacob because <laughs> they use the they use the ch- they use the text corruptor. Yeah. He woke up alone in the middle of the woods. Where should he go? Where is everyone? Okay, and so if you look at the uh, the little okay. images here. Let me look at the images. Oh, he's cute. Okay, a hovel seems to be boarded up. Very good. Okay, we got some rain. We got some atmosphere effects. Uh, looks looks oh, kind of well. cool. Well, we got I a um, I, I got just, a trailer I, here. I can't help but feel that with the little cross in the in the T, that there's might be a game that this is trying to rip off of maybe a little oh, there's bit. a well there's like a little cornfield there's a little lake um yeah. well faith does not have any large bodies of water oh um, so this is a so totally this is highly, new original so i i recognize some of the assets i i don't know if he made all these assets but i don't know so you bring up an interesting point so there are already faith fan games which i think is totally surreal um, so weird right someone made um yeah, I think it was Cracked Ghost Games. They made a um, a top-down shooter, bullet hell, um, kind of like zombie shooter game called Faith Demon Siege. And this is like the only Faith game that I'll ever Faith, Faith fan game that I'll ever like, like I guess mention publicly. I guess because I don't want to give anyone like a, I don't I don't know. Um, it's it's the only one that I've really liked so far, and um, it's cool. I gave them. I gave them permission to use like characters and stuff. And it's kind of cool. You can like upgrade your cross and you can like shoot little holies at demons and stuff. And some of the bosses are some are bosses from the faith series. And it's kind of cool. Um, it's really flattering, but kind of weird at the same time. I'm like, man, people actually want to like, people are actually inspired by this. And then I get a little worried, you know, because um, some of them look really similar to faith and, you know, some of the coolest indie games out there were our fan games, you know, or are like mods of other games. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and so that brings me to another fear of mine is that so the the way that I did the voices in Faith was this like old abandoned where like emulated speech synthesizer from the 70s. And every day I get about 50 requests to know what it is. And I don't answer them not because I not because I, I am being like a chump or anything It's because like it's kind of like a trade secret. You know, it's kind of like a trademark thing that I do. and I don't want everyone to know about it. And also it takes like 0.3 seconds to figure out what it is mm-hmm. and start using it. And so people start figuring out. So they make, they're making, they make like faith parodies and stuff with the text to speech voices and stuff. I just let it happen. Like I'm no one's ever going to get a cease and desist from me unless they're just like totally ripping off of my game and stuff. Yeah. I, I do believe that this one is totally ripping off your game though. Not that I think you should cease and desist faint, but uh, I just thought I'm, it was hilarious. I'm after him now. <laughs> well, that was funny mine. that like we didn't plan this at all. You bring up Game Jolt, I Google it. You're talking about how Game Jolt doesn't have the best support, and the first thing is a ripoff of your game. <laughs> well, it has it has different kinds of support. For example, like itch itch um, itch never strike that. They did ask me about being featured on the front page, but I was I was going through some stuff and I couldn't answer them, and it kind of fizzled out. But um, but uh, Game Jolt actually did contact me several times and was like, "Hey, we wanna, um, we wanna, like, uh, we wanna put you on the front page. So here's what you do. Like, here's what you send us and stuff. So their communication was really good. It's just um, there's it's like uh, MySpace versus Facebook. Like MySpace was great because you could do your own HTML code and um, and configure 
your page mm-hmm. how you wanted and stuff. Um, whereas with Game Jolt or, or with Facebook, it's you're kind of templatizing everything, or it's it's all the same look, you know. Whereas Game Jolt, there's very little customization of your game page and whatever. Uh, but itch, you can make it as wacky as you want. You know, you can even import mm-hmm. like different fonts from Google and stuff. And no. so, um, and but Game Jolt is really good at managing uh game packages and like game downloads and i wish that itch adopted their model Mm. because it's very easy to separate like for example if you have a free demo that's for free and then you have a paid full version of the game like i have for faith chapter 2 that was really easy to set up in game jolt but it's really hard to get people to try both the demo and the full version on itch because if you say that a package is a demo, it gets sent to the very bottom of the game page where hardly anyone sees it. And really? so I have to like, oh. I have to like, I have to like link to it myself and it's kind of annoying, but, um, wow. Right there on the first page, hashtag horror, hot, hot horror people. It is uh, hot horror. Faint. Yes. Faint. So you gotta be really careful with, um, games that are blatant, uh clones and games that are like inspired by and this one seems more inspired by and i'm i'm fine with that i just think it's funny if someone makes a a lewd visual novel based on my characters uh we're gonna have a problem (laughs) so there's a there's a web there's (laughs) yeah for faith the furry edition with the double f yeah that'd be great you know How would you even make I'm them? I'm very furry. disappointed. I do not see enough furry fan art of Faith. I've seen some lewd stuff. I've seen a little bit of Rule 34. I've seen some really weird stuff that doesn't make any sense. And then I've seen people's OCs that are set in the Faith universe, and those right. are like by far the most cringy things. Sorry, y'all. Uh, you gotta. Exp- I know. Free. I I, res- I respect your right to freely express yourselves, but um, some of that stuff, it's like. So speaking of speaking of fan art, um, the okay. First off, about the first thing that you said, which is copying. There's a website that just copies and pastes all of my articles. It's really? fucking horrible. It's called Reviews Horror, and it's as far as I can tell, it's it's a it's a it's a site run by some asshole, and he just goes and he finds other reviews, articles, and things like that. And he just copies and pastes them word for word, and it's weird because he'll like copy and paste like parts where I like mentioned that I wrote it like like my name because my name and my handle are the same thing it's just ted henschke it's that's okay. like you can find you just google me and so like and and then there'll be like pictures of me like he was copying some of my pack south coverage where i had pictures of me in front of it and i was like this is like so easy to prove that you plagiarize this if you're going to plagiarize be a little bit smarter okay yeah plagiarism is kind of funny especially in the age of like uh social media influencers like you hear a lot of stories about like Instagram influencers plagiarizing what other people write because they're so desperate for these like uh, product endorsement st- deals, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's rough. It is. And there's a difference between plagiarism and like re- reporting on a source. So one of the things I don't like to do is I don't like to direct quote another person's interview, which okay. is something you'll see a lot in the horror world. Cause you know, it'll be like Hideo Kojima gives an exclusive with wired. I'm going to have to write about what was said in that exclusive. On but I don't want to. Yeah, but on my website or something like that. And um, so, like recently, we had the Silent Hill rumors coming up, uh, which will. That's uh, right. Yep. And so I wrote about those, and instead of copying and pasting, what I did is I tried to like synthesize all the rumors that were running around. But it's like you know I can't then go and say it was my source because I saw some other website that just 
uh, which I won't mention which one that just literally copied and pasted the article and said from original source here and then just copied and pasted it. And it's like, that's, that's some bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I think some, uh, I think there's a horror site out there that is just a compilation of other, it's like an aggregate site for a bunch of other sources stories. Um, there's N4G, which is a website that aggregates all the video game stories, but it's specifically an aggregate. It's like an RSS feed. It aggregates all of them, lists what's hottest, and allows you to click on it to then find the original article because it links directly. It just is the headline, and it directly links to the article. Yeah. And I'm okay with that because it's not like N4G is like saying this is our content. It's just an aggregator. So. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but uh, the, the, the next thing I want to talk about was that whole inspired kind of by thing. And I think that um, what you're saying with like the fan fictions is that so it's some of the cringiest stuff that you see. <laughs> uh, hopefully it's being written by some 13 year old, you know, cause I remember the, I, I, I went through a phase where I was 13 and writing fan fictions, you know, yeah. like that, that's like, I think it's a rite of passage for any creative that they have a period of time in their life where they are going through that awkward phase of like, I don't really know what my voice is yet. So they're emulating other things. They're trying other things out and they're really like, they're failing miserably, but it's also kind of beautiful because it's like, this is the first like budding. It's, it's like that rough, that, that really gravelly spot where you're like, you're so unpolished and you're, you're unfocused and you haven't yet developed yourself in, 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 in it doesn't matter if it's writing or if it's drawing or if it's making videos I mean, I was I, I was like looking back at some old school videos I made when I was like 15. I was like, oh, my God, that was my sense of humor back then. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important that, you know, for any person who's in a position where they're they're kind of reaching the point where people are liking their message to, you know, be be honest that like we all go through that rough spot because that's that's the number one thing I, I get when I'm talking to people that are asking about, OK, how do I make it as a journalist or how do I make it as a game creator or whatever, you know, whenever I'm in one of these talks, it's always like, you just got to keep trying and you have to accept that like, you're going to have to abandon some of your early ideas, you know? Okay. And I was just kind of curious, you know, with, with, with faith, it looks so low res, but it's clear that you have a lot of experience. So what was kind of the road getting to faith? Well, I'll try to, I'll try to keep it as succinct as possible. So um, I've always, so, um, based on my, like, familiar, like, my, my family circumstances and my, like, my family's financial circumstances, basically every, basically I, I only, I only bought, like, three video games in, in my life until I got Steam, basically. Um, like, at least, um, at least, like, uh, MSRP or, or, you know, when they came out. Everything else was like hand-me-down or like vintage games that I bought at some, you know, some some retro shop. So my experience with games is very sparse and it's it's very retro based. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't allowed to play games with modern graphics at home, and uh, it was all I could do to convince my folks to let me have an N64 in my room, which pla- which practically raised me when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Love that machine so much. Um, so I did. I, I recently revealed on twitter that I, I actually never had a playstation uh i and i never had an atari that's an important one so the game systems that i had growing up were uh original game boy which turned into a game boy color and after i dropped the old one at school and i had to get a game boy color and uh an nes so 
1982-ish, and the N64. And then I had my computer, and I played a lot of computer games, but our computer was never powerful enough to play what was recent. And so um, I think I I can say fairly that I have a, I guess I have a knack for the aesthetic and and the like the user experience of a retro game because that's pretty much all I I played until I got my modern PC um which was about uh which would have been about 5 years ago and I could finally ha- I finally had like the hardware to play current games mm-hmm. which was nice because I really enjoyed Doom 2016 <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah so around the time so I I was interested in horror ever since I was like 12, I guess. Um, I really loved it. And I, I, I made games when I was a kid, uh, when I was like in eighth grade, I think, which for y'all internationals, that would have been like when I was 12, 13, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this thing called Zelda classic and it's a ROM hack of the original legend of Zelda that people made an editor for, and you could like piece together your own screens and your own dungeons and your own like puzzles and stuff. And they were called quest files that you could export out of that editor and people could download the quest files and play them on their Zelda Classic program. And so that was a way of sharing custom-made Zelda games. It was like Zelda Maker, you know, before like Mario Maker. And it, it was not endorsed by Nintendo. And I don't know how they got through all the legal hoops or whatever. But I did a few of those before I went into high school. And then when I was in high school, I um, I did one. And that was my first experience, like posting my work online and getting critiqued by like adults, potentially, you know, um, who were very critical. And so I I learned what it meant to, you know, have an online persona that presented work to people. And that was a big experience for me. Mm -hmm. So flash forward to 2014. So I I played a healthy dose of horror games, uh, mostly from the PS2 era. So like Silent Hill, uh, Fatal Frame is a huge one for me. Um, the suffering is also a really big one. Mm-hmm. So that era of games and, uh, PT comes out and it's safe to say that PT is my all time favorite horror game. And it was a, uh, it was a transformative experience for me because it scared the living crap out of me when me and my friends played it and sat down and it was, it came during a time when we desperately needed it. And I have all the respect in the world for, um, Scott Cawthon or whoever made five nights at Freddy's. But we had had Five Nights at Freddy's and we had sle- we had had Slenderman clones in the indie horror game community for so long at that point that it was really stale. And and there were things like RPG, RPG Maker horror games that were kind of uh, inter- they were kind of like the Japanese like J horror side of it, you know, mm-hmm. because they were so influenced by by that culture or by that um, by that kind of media. But there was there was nothing that made waves like PT, in my opinion. And it it took us back from looking on the wiki to get every single detail about the game, which had already happened for Five Nights at Freddy's and Slenderman. And it, it took us back to an era where we had to talk about the game and actually be like, hey, we tried this and this happened. Or like, hey, did you know if you do this, like your flashlight does this? Or like, like don't do this at this point or you won't be able to get the secret ending. And this is how you get the secret ending. And um, it was a return to that kind of um connection is like oh wow who would have thought like kojima making a game that forces people to connect with each other right Uh, it was his first stranding strand game 
And um, strand type game. Strand type yeah. game. That's right. Yeah, and I can definitely see ripples of that in Faith when you have the multiple endings. Some of them with a little bit more of obscure yes. kind of ways that you get them. The obscurity and the mystery and the fact that like nothing is really force fed to you and um, like the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's like evolved because of community demand and if you deny that then you haven't been paying attention like it is it was obvious that scott cawthon heard got ideas from like like game theorists and right um, and his fans and he tailored his experience to their expectations and there's nothing wrong with that um that is a i think that's a great strategy or that worked for fnaf but for me i really wanted to have something that that seemed like a cursed game that not mm. necessarily something that bro- that broke like like broke out and reached out towards the player in like a self-aware way or like a self-parodying way, but something that looked like it, it did belong in that era mm-hmm. and could really be something that um, that existed back then. Yeah, and, and there so, are times in Faith where the game itself kind of feels broken in a way, and not broken in the sense that the <laughs> game doesn't work, but that, okay, this is not... Like when you go into the basement, the music stops. You, you know what I mean? Or, yes. um <laughs> when you hear the voice it's like this is not this doesn't sound correct and that's yeah, what makes it so unsettling there's something, there's something wrong with what i'm playing that's exactly what i wanted and so uh pt got shut down uh by konami uh, lord lord bless and keep silent hills and um you know a pox on konami uh not literally we've got enough health enough health problems but hey maybe they'll say. Maybe they'll um, get their act together and they'll they'll deliver something pretty cool with this uh, supposed Silent Hills reboot. But I am not holding my breath. But if the rumors are true that like Team Silent is or like former members of Team Silent are part of it, uh, I don't know. I think it'd be cool. Of course, it could be like Evil Within, which I didn't enjoy. But um, anyway, if you want to if you want to have a longer conversation about the the future of Silent Hill, I mean, we can get into that. But. I, in a, in a nutshell, <laughs> I think that the expectations that PT set are pretty much unattainable by any full game, yes. which is why I think that such contained short indie, not indie, but you know, it, it was, PT was styled like an indie game. You can imagine yes. that kind of game coming out on, uh, itch, you know, and, yeah. um, it, PT was a short, a relatively short and self-contained experience and, like the re and and like if you like if you put it down and and came back like a day later to play it it's likely because it was too terrifying for you and you had to put it down uh rather than you didn't have time to finish it and that was the case for us and so i wanted to make something like that especially after it got shut down but i didn't know anything about like cutting edge graphics i i wasn't confident enough to attempt something in unreal much less unity and I knew Game Maker because of a student project I did for school a couple of years ago that, you know, may or may not uh, let people play. But uh, it's pretty it's pretty awful, but it, it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, where I was mentioning that phrase, that phase of awkwardness that you have to kind of get through. Yeah. And that was something I made in like a month for a class. Like Faith was something that I made maybe over six months. Chapter two, I made it over a year. So I, I like taking my time. Of course, Earl's Day Off, like we did it in the space of like four four 24 hour periods if you count like game jam time and yeah and stuff it's been been kind of pleasing to see the people's reaction to it but uh so i i got this weird idea and i was originally going to make faith into a point and click horror game like a point and click adventure puzzle game but i shelved that 
and um, I got this idea. I was like, man, what if I made a horror game that was just the most basic graphics I could think of, like talking like Oregon Trail on the Apple II or like something on the Atari. And so I started looking into like some of the aesthetics of of Atari or the Intellivision or uh, like the Apple II, um, to some extent old MS-DOS games, to some extent the ZX Spectrum. And I just kind of started on it. And the very first version of Faith was a basically it was a it was a ripoff of the hunting mini game on the Oregon Trail, the old mm-hmm. one where you have to like point your weapon mm-hmm, manually, mm-hmm. and except there's a demon after you and you have no gun, you have a cross and it can only repel it, it can't get rid of it, and so you would walk through these screens and there's a random chance that you would stumble upon the house and when you got to the house you uh, you ended the demo. And uh, then I decided to kind of take it a little further and it just turned into this thing like and then I. um, It was a lot of kind of learning how to program like basic like gameplay loops and basic mechanics and stuff. So I learned a lot and um, it helped me with chapter two because chapter two is like pretty massive compared to faith faith chapter one. Right. And if I didn't have that experience going into chapter two, it would have taken like twice as long. And um, I just released it, you know, on itch. I really wanted it to be on like IndieDB at first. And then I was like, oh, it's just kind of cool. I get to customize the the page. I get to you know, have the trailer and I just like put some stuff together. I have a 3D and visual graphics background. And so like making trailers for things and, and stuff like that is no problem for me. And um, it was really fun, but also kind of challenging to learn how to make things like the abstraction process of representing something in these chunky pixels that like, I think the canvas for faith is 196 by 120 or something like that. So really, really small. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, uh, release it out there. And, um, I don't think I got any hits until it got featured on the front page of itch. And I think, uh, the creator of super meat boy retweeted it and was like, this is cool. And, um, that's when I started, thinking I should maybe try hard to like get it out there and get it in front of YouTubers. So I found this, uh, I, I looked up, I, I just searched for horror YouTubers and I found a bunch of people and I just looked for their business address on their YouTube about page. And some of them worked and some of them didn't of course like Markiplier's didn't work. It took like several years for him to pick up faith finally. And, um, he was, an, he was another big part of it. So, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm a huge Markiplier fan. I've been with him since he was streaming um, Amnesia, The Dark Descent. And uh, because I've watched him for so long, I felt like I knew what kind of stuff would, would unsettle him and scare him. So in the hopes that he would someday play it, there are parts of Faith that are specifically tailored to scare Markiplier specifically, which sounds really creepy, but <laughs> I he's such a... Um, He's such a compelling like personality on YouTube and a lot of people like look up to him and take after him that I felt like if I could scare him, I could probably scare a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like a sadistic detail. That's part of faith and faith chapter two. And he eventually played both of them, which I'm really grateful for. And it yeah. just kind of happened from there. But yeah, faith came from a, a self-imposed challenge and a self-imposed restriction to create a horror experience using very basic graphics that was based on something that had a lot of ambiguity, thus the satanic scare of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 that was very obviously the inspiration. 
I mean, uh, I guess that does lead to some some questions, though, about why specifically you decided to focus on this era. Are you mm. yourself someone who's obsessed with the occult? Are you particularly religious? All uh, those questions. Yeah, so I grew up in the Well, I, I didn't grow up in the 80s. I did two years in the 80s. And I happen to really, I happen to be, I'm very fascinated with that era. It was very polarizing socially. Some people had a great time. Some people had a really shitty time. And um, there's a lot of ambiguity because we didn't have the internet and we didn't have smartphones and we didn't have like GPS. And so if you were driving your car and you hadn't seen people for any civilization for like miles and your car broke down, like tough luck you gotta wave someone down and hope that they'll help you and hope and hope that they're not a psychopath you know Mm -hmm. or if you get lost like you didn't have MapQuest, remember that or uh or your smartphone to reorient you and if you had to get a hold of someone and they weren't home well you didn't get a hold of them like and so there's all this uh i that was like great potential for chest a feeling of isolation i suppose and also i i wanted to make something that did not necessarily to ap- appeal to um, one ideology or one belief system. So faith is obviously inspired by like exorcisms from the Catholic perspective, which would be like the exorcist and, and Hollywood, you know, they're all into that. Constantine is, is a favorite of mine. And um, I chose that because it has rules, but the rules aren't always well-defined and they always change. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's very much it's still I, I believe it's kind of based in, in some folk stuff and, uh, you know, to be respectful. So I'm I'm religious, uh, but I'm not Catholic. And so I understand I understand there are parts of the Christian perspective that I wanted to explore, like like themes of guilt and and the moral ambiguity of some situations when you've been taught all your life that, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. And this is how you define right and wrong. And, you know, things like that that I've I, I guess you could say I've struggled with in my life and, and had questions about. And so um, I wouldn't say the main character is like a reflection of me, but he reflects a lot of a, a lot of the feelings that I have about my own experience as a practicing Christian and growing up Christian. Mm-hmm. But I also did like the last thing I wanted to do was be preachy, which is funny because um, every now and then I'll, I'll get an email from someone saying, hey, I'm a devout Catholic and I just want to say I really love faith, you know, because it's just it's 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 about righteousness and about fighting evil and how, you know, the Lord is 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 good. And if you trust in him, like and have faith in him, like you can conquer everything. And I'm like, OK, great. Yeah, I didn't necessarily <laughs> want to want to have that message. And then I'll I'll get a message from someone who's like agnostic or an atheist who is like, yeah, man, I love faith. Like it's such a, like, it's such an F you to like organized religion and, and like Christianity and stuff. And like just how futile it is. And like, it's a great parody on like the faith that we put into religious systems. And I'm like, all right, yeah, great. Hey, I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> like I, um, the last thing I wanted to do, like I said, was to make faith like preachy, you know, even though I have my belief system, it, it doesn't, you know, how I see the world is sort of, incorporated into faith but i didn't want it to be in a way that's like this is how i believe things are and that you that that system is reflected in this game world i wanted to make something imaginative something where the main character could do good things but also do terrible things and the outcome is not necessarily you know known um when all is said and done like there are a lot of things in the games that are the main character's fault no matter what and the main character deals with that and they and the main character john ward who is this like troubled young priest uh he will be he will have to confront 
um, the consequences of things that he's done in chapter three, which I think will be really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the struggles of being a creative type is that once your things are out there, you don't really have a control over how people feel about it. You know? Yeah. I mean, you you can, you can have this epic story that's, you know, I, I, I've set it out over the course of seven installments and, this is what it means. And it's all going to lead to this grand conclusion. And then someone's going to watch it and be like, well, that's not what I got from it. And yeah. you, you can't exactly tell them that they're wrong though. Oh, absolutely not. I, I think in, in most cases it's up to the, you know, it's, it's an art form, you know, games are just as much of an art form as like a painting or a film. And people can have different experiences from, you know, from consuming it, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, it's so many of the things that that for that kind of formed who I am and my opinions on stuff are, are conclusions that I drew from the books and the games and the movies that I watched and not necessarily. And it, it's, it's interesting to me to think about that if I was sitting down across from the author, uh, you know, if I was sitting next uh, across from Daniel Lewski, who wrote House of Leaves, which is. You know, or uh, Dostoyevsky, who wrote The Brothers Karamazov, which was like my go-to move for trying to get laid when I was younger, was like talking about <laughs> how I'd read The Brothers Karamazov because I was into the, I was a, I was that kind of, I, I, I envisioned myself a suave intellectual, you know, even though I was just a, ah uh, yes, I was, I was just a teenager, um, <laughs> and I just imagined that if I was to actually sit across from them and have a conversation, it it would probably be a very strange experience for them because what I got out of whatever they did, that intense feeling that I have is probably different than the intense feeling that they had. Okay. And the it's, it's, it's interesting. It's always interesting for me when I talk to creators because now in my, in my current life, I am so disenfranchised with the idea of celebrity. I mean, like one of the first interviews I ever did was with like M night Shyamalan for um, when he was doing wayward pines and it was like, and just sitting down across from him. And I had all this like thing in my brain about like, oh man, he's going to be this like snooty Hollywood guy because this is after the happening had happened and no one can forgive him for that. And, but I, oh, and the guy was, who did Wayward Pines also did the happening. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan. He did Sixth Sense. Wayward oh, Pines. Yeah. oh, right. Duh. M. Night Shyamalan. Okay. But he was, he wasn't, he a, was, he was a producer for Wayward Pines though. Yes. And he had more of a direct role in the writing of season two. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I happen to not like season two as much, but <laughs> I did enjoy the show overall. It was cool. Yes, yes. So, um, but you know, I was sitting down across from him, and he was just like, "I'm just kind of shocked that I'm here." He, like, he he was still just this kind of like affable, weird dude. Like, it was like this entire idea of who he was as a cultural icon did not reflect what he saw himself as. Oh, and, and that's great. Like, it's great that, so you would say that he wasn't like super defensive about his work then. No, he was, he was very kind of goofy about it. And it was a strange (laughs) experience because in our era of parasocial relationships, we have built up this idea of who the people we are going to then interact with are when they are celebrities, how they are going to act, who they are going to be. And then we often meet them and we realize that our interpretation of them is is completely different than who they are, who, how they view themselves and how they choose to interact with people on their terms. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I'll 
makes sense. Yeah. And I always just find that interesting, especially, you know, like you're saying is that you interact with, with people that have uh, these intense feelings about your work and they expect you to have these intense feelings. And it's almost hard to meet them on their level because even if you did at one point have these intense feelings about the messaging of faith, the game came out a while ago and you have had time to process those, likely process it through the, through the effort of creation. And now they're coming to you being like, yeah, I have all these in really intense feelings about this. Mm -hmm. You're like, that's cool. I, I'm kind of over here now. You're here, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and I just, I always find that, that, that process is, is kind of what disenfranchises a lot of people with the creatives that they love. But then it's also like another phase in your evolution of fandom. Once you realize that a person's like a, a person and becoming a fan of them on that human level. I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit, but I always just find this stuff. No, no, it's fascinating. Yeah. We're, we're getting deep here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, um, you know, it's, it's, it's them. It's the players that keep me going and hearing their commentary. Uh, it, it just makes my day. Like, it's so weird when I, when someone emails me and is like, I just want you to, to let you know that faith is like the scariest thing I have ever played in my life. I'm like, Oh, you're going to make me cry, man. Like, this is exactly what I, this is all I ever wanted. Plus, you know, besides like making money off of my craft, but, <laughs> uh, but then again, I chose to charge just $1 for faith chapter two, but we're going to, we're going to rectify that. There's, they're turning, they're, uh, they're, they're turning me around over at, <laughs> at new blood. Uh, they're helping me see the value of my work, but, yeah, when when someone uh, when someone talks about like what faith means to them and and the, how, what the experience of playing it meant to them, like uh, it's it's this surreal experience, and I I'm just really happy that my work can that people enjoy my work because um, I really enjoy making it. I enjoy playing my own stuff and kind of being in my own little world. That's kind of how I've how I've been all my life, you know. And, uh, although I'm well, socially, I'm very well adjusted, but I still like to kind of retreat. I guess that's why I like games so much is that they're like, they're like worlds that you can manage and control and, and overcome, you know, when the real world can be so like uncontrollable and, and difficult to overcome. And so, um, I've heard, and to some extent, this is true for me, but it's, but more for other people, I guess, um, that a, the horror experience can be very therapeutic. Um, especially for people who have uh, really gone through tough times and uh, have have had like tragedies or like catastrophic events happen in their lives, actually confronting feelings of fear in a safe environment is really therapeutic for them, which is why people gravitate towards horror let's players sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, oh, besides yeah. the shared experience of reacting to a horror game. Yeah, and, I mean... Um, I've gotten a few of those emails for faith and, and that is like really special to me. And so I want to keep creating, you know, to entertain people, but also like if my work means so much to these people, then it's kind of like you formed a relationship with them and you want to keep, you know, you want to keep giving of yourself for them creatively um, so that they can keep enjoying it. And it's something really special to share. Yeah. I mean, the therapeutic value of horror, I mean, this is, getting a little bit deeper, but you know, Let's for me, go. yeah, for me personally, um, like I was incredibly sick growing up. I was in the hospital for like two years from the ages of like zero to five. So like okay. needles, hospital rooms, the smell of sanitizer, all of that is like comforting to me in a way really? that's like not, 
Yeah, because I can't I can't control that part of my brain. That was like how I was raised, you know? Wow. That's like, fascinating. So yeah, right. So there's like a thing and I don't want to say like needles like they 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 like feel like home to me. I just I'm not scared of them. You're a needle file. Yeah, those no. People. No, that would be that would I be a little you, bit I bet you watch Saw 2 all the time. Uh, uh Saw, yeah, the one where she falls into the pit. Oh god, yeah, that's that's hard to watch. Um but I I as a kind of a uncon when you're a kid, you don't process trauma in the sense that you ideate on it. It kind of, it becomes part of your subconscious. Okay. Um, like it's just like, it's you, you don't, you're not even at that point where you're that young, you can't even like cognizant, like cog, you can't even cognitively process what's happening. So, you know, like I was saying is that it just kind of goes into the background, into your programming, into your personality. And, um, as a result of all that, I had incredibly bad, uh, night terrors and horrible nightmares for, for years and years. And I was like a very skittish, not skittish. Um, like I, I was always afraid of the monster behind every closed door. And, um, okay. You had some insecurities. Uh, insecurity is probably not the correct word. It's more of like an overactive imagination. Okay. It was like an, an intense, it wasn't, it wasn't as though I feared for my life because in a sense I was, so sick all the time that death was already a part. It was just that I imagined the monsters behind every door and I didn't yeah. necessarily fear death. I just imagined what was there and it made me have an incredibly hard time relating to other, other kids because when I was growing up, like I said, I was in the hospital a lot. So I, I like the, the possibility of being sick and dying was real to me at a very young age. And it's not for a lot of kids, you know, they, they you, it's like, how do we, how are we going to teach Timmy about the dog die? Like that was like, not something that I had to come to terms with really. It was, it was kind of like an active reality for me. Anyways, the point being is that, uh, you and me, you know, I think we're about the same age, uh, grew up in an era where internet wasn't readily available and horror movies were those things that happened at midnight on the channels that mommy didn't let us watch. Right. And so when I finally became a teenager and discovered the world of, of horror, I had this, dissonance between this feeling of who I was on the inside, this, this, this person who always imagined the monsters behind the doors, the person that had these intense nightmares and versus the, the person who was going to school, trying to get good grades, you know, being the, the good kid that my, my parents were normal kid that parents were trying to raise me to be. And then when I realized that there was this whole community, probably about 17, 18, started going to college and stuff. Um, it was like I really I finally found my ability to sleep comfortably with who I was. It was like it was like I had this it wasn't even necessarily like I had to confront the demons outside. It was like I had to come to terms with who I was inside. And I feel like that's what horror does for a lot of people is that they feel isolated by their experience, whether or not they are isolated because they feel that they're they're hurt in some way and they can't deal or because they're isolated because they feel that they're unique in some way and that other people don't relate to them regardless there's there's a feeling of isolation that i think that horror lets people feel like they that there's someone else out there that gets them and that's what i think is the the healing and therapeutic nature of horror yeah and the development of online like online communities of course you had like horror zines and stuff uh, mm -hmm. and and horror community, like, you know, people would get gather around and it, there'd be horror clubs and stuff. But with the advent of, like, this mass connectivity through the Internet and, like, social, like, communities on online, 
virtual communities, I guess, like you can really find people who are like into the same stuff you are, you know, for better or worse. You know, I don't I don't judge, but there's some weird communities out there. But the the horror community, it's it's something special because it's kind of like you're so used to being misunderstood, your taste being in media being misunderstood for so long that it's really nice to be around people where you're like, hey, you remember this movie? And they're like, hell yeah, that was a great movie. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's, you know, let's watch it sometimes and um, and stuff. And so, yeah, that's really special. It's, um, I don't know, especially in this day and age when we're like working from home a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's good to have an online community and have like support and encouragement from people across the world, you know, that you can have things yeah. in common with. Well, and the crazy thing is, is that, you know, you as a member of the now the horror creators community, you must have noticed that there is a uh, certain intensity to the horror fandom that doesn't tend to exist for, oh, romantic comedies. Well, there's subcultures. And um, I would say that, like, indie game fans are pretty dang dedicated um they can also be highly critical but you can you know you can use that to your advantage you know you can use that you know to you know make your product better or completely ignore it like you have that freedom um but yeah they they tend to be pretty passionate and i'm a passionate person so it it works out you know we still have to figure out how like how to behave when like people have differing opinions you know but (laughs) as a society (laughs) we're not we're not quite there yet uh but um yeah, it's been overall a positive experience, but yes, the the feelings can get very intense. Yeah. So uh, a couple other questions I have, real quick, because we're 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 over an hour now, and I I do want to let you get back to your, you know, family and life and <laughs> real world. <laughs> well, that's very um, nice of you. Yeah. No, I'm I'm nothing if not considerate. Uh, <laughs> uh, where does the name Airdorf come from? Oh, uh, very good question. So I actually don't know what my first word was. Um, because my parents tell me that my first word was Airdorf, which is a made up word, uh, because I was a babbling little child. And so I actually don't, for some reason growing up and for some reason to me personally, the concept of the first word is very, uh, very interesting to me. And so when I was trying to find a name for all of this, I chose Airdorf because it could be an interesting symbol for all of my creative endeavors because my first word was something very creative. It was something that I just made up. Mm-hmm. And so when I told my mom about it, she was like really happy. Um, Cause that's cute. She, she, you know, and so that's where it comes from. Yeah. It's not, that's it's cool. not like, it's not like German or anything. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was just curious because it is, you know, to go by Airdorf. I was like, I wonder if it has, it's some secret within the, the canon of faith. Uh. <laughs> But no. Well, it, you, there is a potential death in Faith where you get run over by a truck that has Airdorf written on the side of the of the of the trailer. So yeah, some I, people I, catch up on some people catch on to that during a stream. They're like, "Great, Airdorf killed me." <laughs> That's funny. Um, and then I, I also wanted to get a little bit into your more recent works. So you have uh, the Winds and uh, Extraordinary, or the Wind, not the Winds, the Wind. And Extraordinary um, are two games you kind of made as uh, like a contract work. You want to go into a bit how that works? Yeah. Long story short, after Faith, um, I was approached by an indie film company, IFC Midnight, and they wanted to make, quote unquote, a horror game that a or horror game styled after the Oregon Trail. I was like, well, 
lucky for you, you're talking to like the only person who does that <laughs> right now. And um, yeah, they were on a super tight deadline. They wanted to get this out as like a thing that people could play in while waiting in line at a film festival so that they could watch the film and they could play the game while they got were in line to watch the film. Uh, they gave me two weeks, me, one person, two weeks to uh, finish it. And luckily, I was out of school at that time because like two weeks is is suicide. Yeah, that's but, ridiculous. But they also like what's great about it is that, um, and I, I want to, I don't want to say this in like a slimy way, but it just worked out really well for me that they didn't know how much game dev costs and stuff, and so they just offered me their entire marketing budget for for this, and I was like, oh, uh, okay, yeah, that's fair. I'll do it. I'll do it in two weeks. Yep, I will do it. <laughs> And so I shut myself up in my office and said goodbye to my wife. I had to go to, we had to fly to California to go to GDC um, in the middle of it. And I was at the conference by day and working on the game by night, but I got it finished and I got it finished early. And um, it was pretty cool because eventually Markiplier played it, which was a, um, I wished, I wished that he had played Faith, but um, he had such nice things to say about the wind after he played it that um, it really made it worth it. And Mm -hmm. so it turns out that the director of the film uh, was having lunch with another movie director and talked about how much they liked the game and making the game that um, word kind of got around about me. And so a couple of other um, a couple of other directors have contacted me for promotional tie in games based on their movies that are like short and free and basically like playable teasers so that. The advantage of which is to get access to the gamer community, which often overlaps with the film community in, in many ways. And um, so I, I by then I was pretty well known for what I do. And so it made sense to, I guess, to have to commission me to, to do it. And so Extraordinary came as a result of my success with The Wind. And um, it's been an, it's been a great experience. Like a lot of times these kind of Hollywood types, they don't know uh, what exactly goes into the process of developing a game, but they're super humble about it, super like understanding and open to stuff. Yeah. So if they want to go one route and I say, Hey, I think that's a great idea, but you know, in my experience, it's more effective to do this. They're like, all right, like go for it. And in both projects, I have had complete creative control over it. The only thing that needed approval was using the likeness of like Will Forte for the wind or for the extraordinary and, and some, some input from the directors uh you know that would that just necessitated like adjustments to like the difficulty and so um i love it personally um it gives me an excuse to kind of make another to you know take a break from other stuff and work on a game and um i i enjoy the business and the marketing side of it oftentimes i help i i participate and help them out with the media outreach because you know the more you know, the more press the game gets, the more press I get, you know, and and their film gets it by extension. So everybody kind of wins. So it's cool when we're all kind of cooperating. And um, yeah, so far, both of them have been really good experiences. And then um, I would do it again. Uh, and I'm <laughs> I am currently in talks. So let's cross our fingers. I'm, I'm currently in talks to do a tie in game for a well-known cult uh direct to video film that has a very outrageous premise <laughs> hmm. 
and uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I'm I'm still in talks to do it, but I really, really hope that uh, it gets approved and I get to work on it because that would be like the coolest thing ever to make a game for this guy. Yeah, that I mean, those kinds of cult hits, like the resonating that you can have with that community is huge. It's like every time we put out any kind of post about some of these old 80s movies, like, oh, God. Like or something like Hack a Lantern or uh, Chopping Mall. <laughs> yes, Chopping or Mall. Or Death Spa, something like that. People are just like, oh, fuck yeah! Yeah, they uh, <laughs> very dedicated fan bases, and they always do really well on the video market and on and globally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, we know a lot about that because the, the company that owns us is uh, it makes it puts out all of the Dread Label movies. Uh, and it, yeah, it's, it's been kind of interesting. I actually hosted film screenings for them for a little while when I was like, so I did uh two years in the AmeriCorps. It's like stateside Peace Corps. Um, oh, cool. yeah, just cause I was like, I basically, I was, I had gone through a really rough breakup and I was like Berkeley liberal and I was like, well, fuck it. You know, I've always said I have all these opinions on like how to help the world, but I've never actually like done anything useful. So I was like, I better put my money where my mouth is before I get like, I just become a bitter old man. So uh, well, you, I did that for did, two you years. You did more than a lot of Berkeley liberals do, I guess. Yeah, basically. But that's really cool that you did that. Nothing like a spiritual kind of journey to kind of just focus on other people's needs for a while. Well, yeah. And that was like, and when I was doing that is uh, I was still doing some stuff for Dread Central at the time. And uh, one of the things I was doing was hosting these film screenings. and. Um, ironically it's around that time that we started doing that uh we we were trying to find venues for it and uh, there's a place called the film bar in phoenix which shout out to the film bar is this really awesome little place that you can go and watch movies and have a beer phoenix phoenix has a really cool film and animation scene yeah it does and that's i mean like i said if we had four hours to talk about it i could go all into the the cool stuff in phoenix because that's why i was doing my americorps contract yeah um uh and so uh but so I was, we were trying to find a location for the screenings and I was like the film bar, because basically I figured that if we did it at the film bar, then they would give me free beer. <laughs> and it's like, ah, yes, the strategy. Yeah. And it was only, it was about two months into uh, starting that, that I, I made the decision to get sober. And so then I was hosting Attaboy. these, I was hosting these out of, at this bar, you know, white knuckling my way through the first few months of sobriety. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sure that was a temptation. It was it was a weird experience, but I figured that if I could, you know, get through the the temptation of the free beer at a film bar, then I could get through the uh, the parties and shit that they throw at, you know, for um, PAX and E3 and Comic Con all that because those are basically just open bar bonanzas. So it's like, yeah, and that's and, hardcore, uh, man. Yeah, two years later, I'm still at it, so. <laughs> I've, I've I've never drank in my life, and so when I hear people talk about like being sober and quitting drinking, I'm like, man, that is a struggle. Like, I don't think I'll ever experience, but something I can really respect. Like, I can't imagine. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, but thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, and um, yeah, it's just it's it's fun to think about the the how the the films kind of. Because that I think that that market, the um, the gaming and the the film market, especially for horror, is like it, are intertwined in ways that a lot of other mediums aren't. Maybe comic book, movies, games, all that stuff. They all kind of intertwine. Oh yeah, probably comics too. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like you know Friday the Thirteenth. You you can have people that 
watch the old original movies and they're still going to be, they probably never played a game before and they'll yeah. still pick up the game. Even if they don't play it, it's going to sit on their shelf. Yeah. You know, people don't collect memorabilia for Tom Hanks's castaway. They don't, they don't collect, they <laughs> hey, don't, you collect, don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just saying like by and large, you know, people aren't buying, you know, must love dogs signed cast photos. All right. It, it's it's like, but they will they will buy the socks that Jason Voorhees, Kane Hodder, who played Jason Voorhees, was wearing during filming, and they will like put it on a shelf. Like so a little... what what kind of horror memorabilia do you have? What's your most uh, prized piece? So I'm actually a terrible horror fan for that. Um, I move, I travel a lot for work, so I don't have a lot oh, of memorabilia yeah. that I keep stored. Yeah, um, and those things are just dust collectors. I, I had to get rid of all mine when I got married because she thought it was weird. If I had my brothers, <laughs> I would get a um, as large and as close to life-size replica of the T-800 from Terminator as as possible. So my old the old uh, editor-in-chief of Dread Central, one of the founders of the company, he had an alien egg from Alien. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, those, that to, was really cool. I used to collect those uh, Movie Maniac series from Todd McFarlane, and I had a giant alien queen with, like, eggs and, like, a, a lair and stuff. Yeah. I have a lot of pop figures, not because I buy them, oh, but because yeah. they get given away. Yep. So I have, like, the whole Game of Thrones cast pop figures. Oh, At some excellent. point, they were going for, like, 100 bucks each, and um, I don't think they're going for that much anymore after season eight. But... uh <laughs> <laughs> I have a so. zombie Conan, Conan, not Conan, Conan, like Conan O'Brien pop figure from his first ever Comic Con. I think that one's like 400 bucks. Very and nice. that's just sitting in my apartment. Um, but yeah, I, I have some cool stuff, but nothing that, I don't know. Like I said, I don't, for me, the memorabilia that I like is the stuff that I get from things I did. So if I go to an event to cover it as press and they give me some like swag bag, and in it is like a pop figure or something that I'll keep um, because it's like a mem- it's like a reminder of something I did. I don't necessarily like the like the thousand dollar chase figurines that I have to go purchase because then it's just it doesn't doesn't feel natural to me. For me, being a collector and being a fan is about things that you kind of just stumble into, not things that you are actively hunting for, which is an odd way to go about oh, being okay. a collector, I guess. So but, maybe so maybe less the commodifying of collector culture. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I guess because to me, there's like a memory and there's an event that I can tie to each of the figurines that I have. Yeah. It should, they should all have a story behind them, I suppose. Yeah. Rather than, exactly. rather than I waited for pre-order and I pre-ordered it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I worked at the, the target for X hours to make enough money to then be able to buy this thing. And it's like, I don't, that doesn't really, that's not a story to me. To me, it's like I went to the, the premiere and I, I got this thing. That's something that I think is cool. Like I went to the premiere of the Witcher show and I got this little medallion. It's a cheap little medallion, but I, it's sitting on my, um, I have this thing and looking at it. It's, it's all my lanyards from all the comic cons I've ever been to and E3s and all the stuff. Basically it's, it's the collection of all the years of press I've done. And, uh, it's sitting there because it's like, that's a thing I did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's fun to walk down memory lane like that. All right. Yeah. Well, um, probably need to wrap this up. So any, yeah, any final, I know. I just, any final questions? Good, no, this, good... is, this is a great discussion. And, uh, you know, I, I go to school, but uh, I don't get to talk to a lot of people. So it's kind of nice to geek out with someone, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're married. This is the only chance you have to get to super geek out. Otherwise, it's just family and kids. That's right. I, I, <laughs> um, I married someone who is very, very supportive of what I do. 
and uh, and what I'm passionate about, but um, who who does not play games or um, she likes horror films. She really liked um, It Follows. I really liked It Follows. Yeah. So uh, and we watched uh, Uncut Gems last night, which was like it, after we turned it off, we were like, because we felt like someone was like screaming in our face for two hours. But yeah. I happen I happen to really enjoy it. Um, and so, um, you know, our, our tastes in movies and stuff overlap. We watched uh, The Terror, the first season from Ooh, great AMC. show. That's a great show. I loved it. Yeah. It's like, holy cow, it's like a master and commander, but with a, but it's also a monster flick, but it's also yeah. kind of not. And uh, I was really into it. We, we dug it and uh, we just finished Man in the High Castle, which is uh, very scary to watch, uh, but it had a very disappointing last episode, unfortunately. I haven't, I haven't watched Man in the High Castle. Funny story about the kind of the behind the scenes of the terror. So I do the Comic Con press rooms for a okay. lot of those shows, and I like AMC was like The Walking Dead and stuff. They didn't market the terror as a horror show. So before it came out, um, they were they doing did a press speculative rooms. fiction or something. They did it as like a historical drama. Oh, okay. And and so they didn't invite a lot of the horror press to the press rooms and stuff, or they didn't really pitch it. And I, I remember specifically when I was going through my Comic Con press invite list for the different press rooms. There was one the AMC was like, here's the terror. And I was like, is the terror a horror show? Because if it is, I'll... this is before they had released any of the promotional material. And they're like, oh, no, okay. it's, yeah. it's not. It would be and important I... to you to know. <laughs> right. And and they said, no, it's not. And I was, and then, so when I finally watched it, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is totally a horror show. This is 100% a horror show. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were trying to keep it all spoiler free, but if they wanted to keep it spoiler free, then they shouldn't have had, you know, in the very first episode, the dude with the weird face, you know, it's like, yeah, anyway. Correct. Or, or basically reveal the monster in the trailer. Right, exactly. So it was this weird disconnect between the um, lead up to the show and then when they actually started like releasing the show, the messaging and that often, that often happens in the film side of things is that you have a, a, a marketing company that's saying, Oh, this is the demographic that we want to hit. And then there's like the actual show. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Cool, uh, yeah. So I just wanted to say, uh, thank you once again for taking some time to talk to me. Um, is there anything you want to pitch real quick, uh, before we go any place that you would like any of the listeners to, to go wish list the game, et cetera. Oh yeah, if you go to GaryLovesYou.com, Gary is a character from Faith. He is a normal human being, just like you and me. If you go to GaryLovesYou.com, uh, you can wish list the game on Steam. Uh, also, Mortis.life and Mortis.love, and um, and then um, find me uh, on Twitter, just at Airdorf. Mm-hmm. Just and, at Airdorf. Yeah. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. You can you can find ba- basically anything you need about me um, through there. And hey, guys, uh, just if you're listening right now and you've already gotten the game on itch.io, go ahead and go wishlist it on Steam. That really does like you don't understand how much the, the wishlisting helps out these indie creators before the game comes out. So please go ahead and go do that. Even if you bought both of them before, just go wishlist the game. It doesn't cost you anything. And um yeah, and guys, thank you so much for listening in. If you liked what we had to say today, go ahead and just subscribe to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. I don't know what you're listening to us on. Our podcasts are all over the place now. Uh, and by all over the place, I mean not only content-wise, but you can find them in a lot of places. But go ahead. And uh, guys, we just started a new YouTube channel, at DreadXP. It's only like a couple weeks old. 
And we're, we're really trying to push a lot of content on that. So go ahead and check that out. And as always, follow us on Twitter at, at DreadXP. And uh, just check out the website because that traffic uh, is how I get paid. So, yeah, um, Erdorf, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Hey, yeah, thank you, Ted. This has been great. Yeah, and uh, I'll uh, see you all in the next episode where we will be talking uh, to the community manager for PUBG. So that will be uh, – yeah, I know, right? Uh, we actually have like a super impressive lineup. We got to talk to like the, uh, the chief creative officer of Funcom – and he got to tell us all about the new Dune series that they're they're doing, and uh, excellent. He was like at a level in the company where he just like no one can get mad at him because he's at the top. So he was like, "These are the things that we're doing," and like it was so great that no one was worried about the NDAs. Um, anyways, uh, thank you all for joining us, and I'll, I'll see you next time. Bye. Put your hand on that television set. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He received your healing. Yes. Now. I'm healed. Yes. And I consider not my own body. Yes. Yes. I consider not symptoms in my body. But only that which God has promised. Only that what the Word has said. And by His stripes I was healed. And by His stripes I am healed now. I'm not the sick trying to get healed. I'm the healed and the devil's trying to give me the flu. Or whatever else kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> healed and well. Sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.